This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora no mai hare mai e te whanau. Welcome to It's Getting Hot in Here, where we chat with experts to learn about climate change here in Ototahi. I'm Molly. And I'm Emily. Join us as we go on a journey to find explanations, solutions, and hope for the future. As a heads up, we are going to be talking about mental health and climate change, and so some information could be triggering or distressing. And so if you need help, please call or text the National Mental Health Hotline at... 1737, where you can talk to a trained counsellor at any time. You may have noticed that you've got two different voices on the It's Getting Hot in Here podcast, and you would be correct. So I'm Emily. And I'm Molly. And we're taking over and getting this podcast revamped again. And Laura suggested that we get involved because we're both passionate about climate change and wanting to do a podcast about it. Exactly. And that's sort of where we met each other is just figuring out that we were both really interested in this topic and wanting to get it out to a broader audience. And that's where this podcast sits to sort of rebrand it as more of like a coffee catch up between the two of us talking about these topics. And we're going to be building off the the content that's gone before us, like they say, standing on the shoulders of giants. And we want a, a bit of a new direction with a strong focus on climate change adaptation, which is all about discussing how we might plan for and live with climate change going into the future. There's so much content about climate change and the despair of it We want to take a different lens and look at finding the solutions and look for hope and seeking the positives. So come on a journey with us to find out more as we discuss with experts on how we can live with climate change, especially in the Ōtutahi area. And this journey might be a bit bumpy, but we hope you'll stick with us through it. And this sounds like a caveat, but it's going to come back to something that makes sense. I was watching a video about making pancakes the other day. And this this video was done by one of my favorite chefs, Alison Roman, at her channel on YouTube. And she was saying that, like, when you're making the first pancake, it's a little bit disappointing because it's never going to turn out how you want it. Like, it's going to be, like, a bit burnt, maybe a bit dry on the edges, You know, it's not going to be the perfect fluffy pancake, but you need that first pancake to get the rest of the stack. Like, if you don't start it, you're never going to be able to eat your pancakes. So it reminded me of our first episode because I was like, you know what? It might not be the most perfect pancake, but we've got to get it out there. And it's only going to get better from here. So just hang in there for some good quality pancakes. So now we want to talk a little bit about what topic we chose and why we chose it. So we wanted to talk about the mental health effects of climate change. This topic felt really close to home as, you know, a lot of our friends and, of course, ourselves, we were experiencing psychological effects of climate change. I personally have seen myself 
turn away from climate change information because it might be on a day where I'm already overwhelmed from everything and it means that I'm not necessarily engaging in the solutions or the community support that might be available because I'm just seeing it as an enormous burden. Yeah, absolutely. And we want this to be sort of in contrast to maybe some of those things that are causing more of that concern and like avoidance and turning away. And we started by looking at this topic to see what we could learn ourselves and also hoping to share solutions that that people can do to take care of themselves in the face of it. Yeah, and I understand that we want our audience to be able to listen to this and it's going to be it would be really hard to listen to a climate change podcast without having some of the tools to be able to control climate anxiety and know that it comes from a place of opportunity. So the people we thought to talk to about this specifically were mental health professionals who work in this sphere of climate change and climate anxiety. And so specifically, we talked to Michael Apathy, who is a psychotherapist here in Ototahi Christchurch. I suppose I saw myself coming to this conversation with, with kind of two hats on. One is my work as a psychotherapist, so the direct, you know, mental health focused work that I in my private practice here in Otatahi. But another hat is, is as a grassroots climate activist, climate justice activist, you know, working with organizations like Extinction Rebellion, Greenpeace, 350, uh, stuff like that. And the way in which I, I kind of, I, know, I guess, bring both of those parts of me and the way in which I try to find moments exactly like this moment where I can kind of, I suppose, work with those parts of me together. The other person we talked to was Dr. Jackie Feather, who she's a professor and a clinical psychologist in Auckland. And I am interested in the mental health aspects of climate change and ecological devastation in terms of the impact on people and how we can help them to understand and manage those psychological and emotional impacts and to thrive rather than struggle in the modern world. So that's one effect. And the other is that I'm the co-convener of the Climate Psychology Task Force for the New Zealand Psychological Society. And so that's really a bigger picture focus. They were great and sat down with us actually the first week virtually over Zoom, first week of lockdown. I think I particularly enjoyed talking to Michael because you could just sense he was a fellow climate activist and he was really passionate about change, but also was talking about the tools to manage this climate anxiety. And it was great to see Jackie bring a different lens um, where she spoke more personally about her experiences of being overwhelmed with climate change as well and gave a, a good personal perspective. Something I really liked of what they talked about was how climate change is actually a psychological threat. It is something that we're adding to our mental stresses in our day-to-day lives. And we talked about what that threat looks like, why it's a threat, and how it creates this avoidant behaviour. Climate change is a threat, 
And we can put it in the category of a direct threat. So, for example, climate change causing wildfires, you know, global warming um, causes wildfires and then there's flooding. So anyone who's impacted by that direct effect has a particular psychological response, which is more in the realm of stress and trauma and you know, how do I cope with this? But the focus is really on survival in those situations. But the after effects can be more like a post-traumatic stress. So look, whenever we feel under threat, we have a response which is commonly known as the fight-flight-freeze response. And we're evolved to deal with threat. But unfortunately, our threat response is a bit out of date. You know, it's kind of evolved really to deal with a tiger in a tree it's it's not evolved to deal with the existential threat of climate change so the threats are, are subtle uh, often and you know people can feel a vague sense of doom and gloom you know it's it's kind of subtle and they mightn't even recognize this feeling is actually related to what's happening on the planet and with with fight flight freeze people's responses can differ widely so some people you know engaging a lot with social media for example and and repeated exposure to climate change information and the predicted catastrophes so this can lead to constant vigilance, uncertainty, hopelessness, powerlessness, fears around the kind of high costs of the choices that they might have to make. Then it can extend to terror, self-blaming, judging, guilt, shame. So, you know, the whole raft of overwhelming emotional responses can occur. Yeah, I mean, you know, in terms of what I actually see, you know, from from clients, but also, you know, fellow activists and just people out there in the community is, you know, very, very broadly, people are either tending a bit towards anxiety responses or, or tending a bit towards depressive responses, you know, whether it's kind of fitting all the criteria for a full clinical diagnosis or not. So people who might speak about their anxiety or might identify themselves as anxious it's more often that their whole kind of nervous system is amping up and kind of winding up. So you have people kind of feeling panicky or on the edge of panicky, sometimes feeling like overly demanding of others or, or pressing like urgency to change, but kind of driven by driven by anxiety, which of course, you know, it's 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 unpleasant and exhausting to to function in that sort of panicky, worried, you know, amped up state. For, for too long and the other side that I refer to the, the kind of depressive responses often that's kind of like the nervous system moving in the opposite direction kind of like winding down so that's some of the stuff Jackie was referring to as well I think the, the kind of numbness deadness loss of motivation disconnectedness which of course doesn't work so well for us either so the, those kind of those responses of either you know the nervous system amping up or 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 amping down, whether it's when we read a you know the most recent IPCC report or have a conversation or what have you, you know these triggers are so are so common now. 
I don't expect or hope that everyone turns up, you know, in the office of a counselor or a psychotherapist or psychologist to talk about this stuff, though some may. The the hope for me is that as a as a society we can become more literate and capable of how do we deal with these things collectively on a group public scale in the way that we're of course moving so so strongly and having such a focus on education with COVID at the moment. I think Michael, I'd like to pick up on how you know initially we focused on individual responses, but of course as individuals. We live in a society and we live within an environment and, you know, the natural world. So we live in an individualistic society. And and I think the risk is that we can become very focused on the individual and very focused on individual responses. And, I mean, in an individualistic society, we're kind of all charged with making our own way in the world. It's sort of spills over a bit into the climate change realm that you know we all feel like we've got to do our bit and that's really important but it's also a big stress on us as individuals and actually while climate change is a threat to us individually it's it's bigger than all of us and it's a global problem and it needs to be tackled at all levels I've got some really interesting student research studies here that I'd like to to just refer to. One was with five AUT students aged 18 to 30, and it was a qualitative study. And an honours student interviewed these young people about climate and environmental change and mental health. The strongest theme that came out of it was actually not to do with their individual mental health response but it was actually to do with lack of care so it was the lack of care from government corporates and the economic system and this was the biggest impact on them and that's where they felt powerless yeah and finally that group also identified the importance to them of their own personal values and how that they were guided by their values in terms of their actions around the environment and they were acting to protect nature. They had a strong value around nature and protecting the environment. And they were they were all taking action in their own ways in the community. So not just themselves, you know, but actually joining groups and, and doing things at community level. Jackie and Michael acknowledge that climate change is a threat and it makes sense that we're dealing with the mental health effects of thinking about it as a threat and as something uncertain that is going to harm us. And I thought that it's a recognition that it's okay to feel these things about climate change. Like, the reality check of sort of like, well, but it is actually a threat. Like, it's okay to to feel worried because it's out there, you know, and and it's happening. And not feeling like almost a disconnect from those feelings. Like, oh, like, why am I feeling this? Because you, you can be and you are. Yeah, I think something I took away is how climate activists are often subject to climate anxiety as well because I associate if you're doing something and you're motivated, therefore you're managing it well. But actually I realise now that climate activists are motivated because they are burdened with climate anxiety 
but they're also often engaging with circles where they're talking about climate change, the problems that climate change will bring, and you're surrounded by lots of information, and I think that weighs down on you as well. I thought something that was really interesting was how they discussed the lack of care from the government around climate change and how people feel really abandoned in some ways that like these big institutions haven't done very much to to do the things that could have been done, you know, 20 years ago. And so now we're in the situation that we are in and we feel as if, you know, we're powerless because this problem is so big that it can't be handled by just one person or just in one organization. Like it, it had to have been taken on by by the international community. And to date, there hasn't been enough that's been done, you know, to actually mitigate it. And so we're left feeling like a bit angry almost about that and, and disappointed in the people that should have been doing their roles and should have been doing their job. You know, things could have been done and it's disappointing that they weren't. And we do have to deal with our feelings of grief over like, not having done something ahead of time. Yeah, feelings of grief of this lifestyle that we've been sold, that we're going to have certain things in the future, like even the assumption that we'll have easy access to travel. And we're going through that grief process of what does international and domestic travel look like in in the future if we don't have the same energy sources available to us. I think what also dawned on me is how we're both uncertain about the future of climate change and what climate change actually looks like, but also the uncertainty of how we are going to react. And it's what you're talking about, Molly, with the uncertainty of how governments and big corporations, and it's that distrust of not knowing the future that is also a bit of the threat too. Yeah, it's like a uncertainty that extends like far beyond any other uncertainty that we've that we've had. Um, because you know, as as good as we are at the science of climate change and and figuring out what's going to happen, you know, and and these amazing technologies have gotten better and better since we've studied it, you know, for decades now. But I don't know, and and there are very smart people studying this, so I'm sure there there are things out there around, you know, what society is going to do and policy is going to do. But I think on a very, like, individual human level, on the level of ourselves within society, like, we don't know what we're going to (laughs) do. In terms of the different IPC scenarios of what climate change could look like, and there's these different ones that it's bad, a little bit worse, and and really bad sort of thing, Um, I understand that uncertainty isn't just... Like, we mostly know how the world might react. It's just we're not sure how humans are going to react and what that looks like. There's a real opportunity for us here that if we can change our our lifestyles and our energy consumption, then the power's in our hands. One of the other things that we focused on a bit, because we are very focused on it and also our friends, is consuming content around climate change. And 
we specifically were asking Michael and, and Jackie, like, how do we do this in a sustainable and useful way? Because we are both people who look a lot at climate change, are interested in it, are steeped in it, in what we do. But it also makes us really anxious to do that. And so how do we balance that that content consumption with taking care of our mental health? I think for me, it's kind of like, it's certainly not always I can get caught in the doom scrolling like so many of us, but but at least sometimes asking myself the question of like, oh, why, why am I looking for this piece of information? What is this actually coming from in me? What is it seeking to achieve? I've read some summaries, but I haven't read the most recent IPCC report. Uh, I think it more or less says exactly what I thought was going on anyway. And, you know, how is that actually going to change my my behavior? I know for me personally, it won't. But for other people, it might be really important to do that. So, so I respect that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think sometimes the kind of reading, consuming social media, taking in more and more and more, why am I doing that if, if I'm currently feeling motivated to take action on the climate crisis? Am I doing that to inform my actions to be more effective? Great, maybe that's useful. If I'm already motivated, do I need another kind of picture of California burning? No. So some, sometimes I think it's driven by an overanxious kind of like pattern that's around you know, constantly checking and rechecking with with almost like OCD sort of sort of overtones, where it's almost like it gets into a realm of magical thinking, where it's as, as if if I know the next piece of information, or if I keep exactly up to date with what's happening, as if that will somehow undo the damage or be protective or that sort of thing. And, and of course, it can't. But sometimes that can be driven by completely non rational kind of parts of us. And I think actually that there is a psychological explanation for why why we do this, why we keep seeking this information, and that is we're trying to assess the threat so that we can avoid it or deal with it. So we're actually programmed to assess the threat. And in terms of mitigating that, I think it's being aware that, okay, this is something that you know my my physiology is my primitive brain is driving me to do can become really anxiety driven and it can become obsessive you know I think there is that risk of being assessed obsessive around um, you know even like from an activist point of view or an academic working in this area we can become very very focused on on these issues to the exclusion of the rest of our lives and the people in our lives. I found it really helpful to have that reminder that reading the news isn't taking action. When you're scrolling and researching climate change, it feels like you're doing something, but you're actually not taking action. And that is only causing stress, but not necessarily doing much good. There's no need to be like a receptacle for all the information that's out there because it's huge. You're never going to know everything. And also like knowing everything is not necessarily the answer. (laughs) It's like figuring out like what is useful for me, where I am in my community. 
and that that is the important information and it's not necessarily like everything that's going on everywhere yeah and i think as climate change is becoming more on people's radar and it's getting more attention there's going to be even more content as well to to get through as well so yeah choose your moments yeah i really like that i like that as like a a motto or something like choose your Mm -hmm. moments decide when it's time to pay attention yeah i found it really useful to allow myself to let go of not attending that webinar or watching that documentary and just realizing what's actually gonna make my life fuller today as well being more present as opposed to feeling like I have to carry this problem of climate change too. And also there's like not a lot of content out there necessarily that comes from a positive viewpoint or maybe not positive but a hopeful viewpoint or a viewpoint of opportunities that come along with climate change. And I think that makes it difficult for your own perspective to be like positive and seeking opportunities and doing what you can you know there are there are things that we can do and there is hope and there is there are positives if we go looking for them so we've talked a lot about like the downsides of climate anxiety we really wanted to hear what could some solutions be to it I think having conversations with each other, but, but having conversations that, that accomplish specific, in my mind, specific psychological tasks, you know, can we, can we feel the depth of our sadness and grief and not just privately within ourselves, but can we be seen in that? Can we share that? Can we feel belonging in that? To me, it's conversations and, and processes. It can be, for instance, mindfulness by ourselves, but processes that allow us to tap in to those those deeper underlying motivators they're they're all motivators to action even sadness which sometimes people confuse the sadness with a a numb depressive response they're all motivators for action because they all come come from that you know basis of care so having conversations or processes where we can reach within ourselves deeper than the anxiety or the numbness and and experience and express those those really core emotions and not only is that good for for motivation and connection and that sort of thing but what it requires of us is is an inwards turn a self-reflective turn which actually activates whole different parts of our nervous system and brain than the externally focused there's a threat there's a threat keep on scrolling keep on checking And, and when we you know we only we only reflect we only introspect we're designed to do that when we think we're safe. So actually doing that, reaching inside of ourselves to those deeper layers, it, it almost like tells ourselves that we are safe since we are doing this. So what it tends to produce actually is a, is a massive drop in when it's going successfully. It, it, it drops the anxiety, it drops the numb depressiveness. And then you have these these kind of deeper emotional experiences, these these more nourishing emotional experiences. And the best of all, when someone can hold all of those emotions, when they can hold the sadness, they can hold the anger, they can hold the the kind of joy or care or love. And then you have a, a basis for a very, very resilient and motivated engagement with the climate crisis. 
that's that's the the kind of the way I see some of those those psychological tasks, which unfortunately are not a one-off. Sometimes they go very very deep on a one-off occasion. You have someone essentially has an epiphany and and they change their relationship with all of this in their life. It's a kind of turning point in someone's life. For most of us, it's a kind of dipping in periodically to various levels of, of depth. The other piece that I think is important is self-compassion. Mindful self-compassion is another approach that we're using in psychology now, which has basically come from 5,000 years of Eastern philosophy. So we've kind of come lately to this. But part of that is caring for ourselves and caring for others. And, you know, I think Jacinda passes that message well. Stay kind. Yeah. And common humanity, you know, we're all in this together. And, you know, if we can support each other, then, then, then that's going to be the best way forward. What is an upside you see from climate change? One of the upsides I see it is, is it's a real opportunity to, to, you know, undo these, these systems that produce climate change as a symptom in the first place, you know, to undo these, these systems of colonization and, and patriarchy and, and capitalism. You know, because and and I wanted to make sure that that I kind of mentioned that because, you know, you you have us on as mental health professionals, and it's very easy for those kind of conversations about mental health to somehow sit as if they were separate from those those bigger systemic things. But you know, I, the the climate crisis, climate and ecological crisis, if we address that well, it, it gives us impetus to I think exactly what Jackie you know described of like communities interacting sharing you know not in these oppressive power over sort of structures not just purely transactional based on money and you know like a a genuine sense of community you know with each other with the land you know that's that's so much more of a of a rich way to live so that, that's what I want or, or hope for for the future. Yes, I completely agree, Michael. And I think the risk of mental health professionals is that we become handmaidens to the system, you know, like we're kind of band-aiding over the real problems. And we don't want to do that. I don't want to do that, you know. I, that's not the way forward. The way forward is that we actually address these issues at systemic level. And I think mental health professionals have a role to play here, understanding the processes that we've been talking about. And I think looking back to Indigenous values, certainly in New Zealand, Māori values and ways of being, kaitiakitanga, caring for our environment, kamua, Kamuri, walking backwards into the future. Life is a constant cosmic process. You know, recapturing these values and recognition that human beings are an intricate part of life and, you know, we're part of nature and we can't separate ourselves, even though we've been trying to do so for a few generations now. I think one of the key points around more solutions that they were talking about was 
one, getting involved, but two, like getting involved with a community was a huge one. It's not like you can feel really alone in these these problems, sort of feel pretty crushing. But when you're able to connect with people and share those feelings, even if they're bad feelings, but just realize that you're not alone in that, that can be really helpful. I think when we've got a collective around us, when there's people that we know are there when we're in need, whether that's to share a challenge of climate change or anxiety, or whether it's to know that there's someone there with a cup of sugar next door when we're going to run out. I think building a sense of community is always going to make us more resilient for the future. And it makes us know that we can face far more challenges when we've got groups of people to trust and rely on when that hazard comes. Absolutely, yeah. And reflecting on what we were talking about around feeling very uncertain, that's at least something that if you have a community that you can trust and that you feel like in the future they're going to be there for you and and they're going to take care of you and you're going to take care of them, then that's something that you can know for sure. Um those relationships and you know even if they change and even if they're different because of what what climate change brings at least the sort of recognition of doing the best that we can and helping each other um is maybe something that we can look forward to yeah yeah so from talking with jackie and michael they both touched on the idea that we're climate change is such a disruptive force that we're going to pretty much be remaking a lot of things in the world. And hopefully we could use that as a momentum for a larger transition in society. So we know like there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of issues in society. There's a lot of inequality and oppression and things that could be changed. And so it might take something as large as climate change to shift some of these really unequal and problematic structures that we have. And so I thought that was really interesting because I think that that's a great idea, you know, if we if we are able to use it as an opportunity, something so disruptive. Yeah, and what I'm seeing so much in my studies is that this is an opportunity to pay more attention to nature and our environment and we really need to shift our priorities back to the ecosystem that we live in. And climate change is the world reminding us of that. And so when we listen to what the environment needs, there's actually so many benefits for people as well, given our connection. So more green spaces might mean cleaner water, cleaner air, but also it gives us places to walk in and do recreation in too. I really like the idea that humans should be a part of responding to climate change. And obviously, maybe that sounds that sounds obvious because, you know, we, we were the reason that, <laughs> that climate change started. But I think there's sort of like a viewpoint of like, oh, well, humans just went and did this terrible thing and now we all deserve to like die off. <laughs> and I, I think, well, you know, that's a really big problem from, from multiple perspectives. But I think one of the biggest is that like, humans are part of this and we're 
we need to take care of each other. We can't just leave everyone alone to like deal with these effects. Like we do have to figure out how to continue to to live and and not just to survive, but to actually like thrive in a world like this. And so I think, yeah, that does provide a lot of opportunity to be like, okay, what is the best way forward? That is the reframe that I like to think about um, climate change in is like, okay, what can we do to to thrive? I really like the way that the interview concluded because we were talking about being present and our interview ended by everyone expressing gratitude for each other and gratitude for the work that everyone's doing in the climate change space. And it was just a lovely way to end the interview. Look, my, my, my gratitude for the, the three of you, Molly, Emily, Jackie, for the, you know, the mahi, the work that you're doing by having these conversations. And, and you know, I really, yeah, I feel grateful for that. I feel, you know, it's, it's courageous work to everyone who's, who's listening to this. You know, I'm sure everyone who's listening to this is caring and working and coming from a really good place. Yeah, and just that, that respect and that gratitude of sometimes it does feel incredibly difficult sometimes it feels like kind of by engaging with with this topic it's almost like as if we're kind of taking in poison or something toxic and you know just yeah my gratitude for the people who are, who are willing to do that not to sicken ourselves but to transform that into something you know better or more beautiful or life-giving which is i think what we're doing so thank you all Thank you, Molly and Emily. It's been a privilege to be here and to be part of this. And, you know, I think the take-home message is that everyone's doing their little bit and all the dots will, are starting to join. And this is a movement that I think is it's creating a wave and, and the future can be hopeful with, with all of us doing our little bit. Thank you. We were so grateful to talk to Michael and Jackie in such an uncertain time. It made me personally feel really, really grateful to hear from them and and hear their perspectives and to connect with them. And of course, having you there, Emily, was wonderful as well. Thanks. Um, As always. So yeah, we I know we did a lot of talking, but we do want to do a bit of a recap of like what were the key takeaways of our conversation with Michael and Jackie. So I think the first one is just that recognizing climate change is a threat and that because it's a threat, it does cause psychological impact is a takeaway from our conversation. Yeah, the second takeaway for me was around the importance of seeking community so that you can be supported by the community, but it also is an opportunity for you to support others as well and give that care. Yeah, and another one, another takeaway that I think is especially relevant for me and Emily and anyone who might be like us is to, when you're consuming content around climate change, to ask yourself, what are you getting out of it and what are you going to take from it to be productive in your life or your work or something like that? And really being deliberate around the content that you consume, not just reading something because you feel like you should. Yeah, and another takeaway for me was about how Climate change has created an opportunity for us to transition our society, how we can address some of the other complex challenges as we prepare ourselves 
for a world that climate change exists in. And so that's our pancake, our first one. We hope you liked it. If you didn't, or even if you want to send us some positive feedback, we love your support. Send us an email at itsgettinghotinherepod at gmail.com. You can also find us online at plainsfm.org and search for It's Getting Hot In Here. We have additional resources on the page about climate anxiety and the mental health effects generally of climate change. That's it for today. Thanks for listening. Takete ano. Takete. If after listening to this episode, you feel like you need to talk to a trained counsellor, we encourage you to free call or text 1737. They're available day and night.